Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 96, coming at you on October 11th, 2020. We are recording at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Uh, Todd, I have to ask you, how excited are you to hear that there is going to be another Band of Brothers sequel series coming out? Uh, well, I mean, it's exciting. I mean, I do love the Pacific more than most people do. So, yeah. I mean, it's weird that it's not HBO, though. Yeah, it's going to be Apple TV+. Plus. Um, yeah, the Pacific, I, I need to go back and watch it again. I think it it um, suffered from unfair comparisons to the masterpiece that's Band of Brothers. But I'm, I'm uh, intrigued by Kerry Fukunaga uh, helming it. That'll be, that'll be cool. Zach, I know you haven't seen any of them, so uh, well, you don't really care. Okay, but what about the biggest news of the week, the trailer for Fat Man? I mean, can we talk about this? Oh, gosh. <laughs> what well, was we are going to be talking about trailers, so let's let's talk about... Yeah, Fat Man. If you haven't seen this trailer, go check it out. Mel Gibson is Santa, and he is being hunted by Walton Goggins, who's a hitman for a kid that got a lump of coal. That's real... I mean, that's... Right? That that's basically it. I I don't know. Yeah, I sent that to you guys. Been like, what? I think I think what I sent with it was what in the actual hell? Well, the last <laughs> movie that the Nelms brothers did was in was like borderline top ten of t- 2018 for me. It was called Small Town Crime. I know I made Zach watch that at some point. He liked the movie a lot too. So I now the fact that he's got a, a like actual legit cast in a movie that looks equally as weird and awesome. I think I, I mean I'm excited for that. Yeah, I mean, when you said it to me, Terry, at first I thought, was this like a like a, a revamp of Jake and the Fat Man? Like, yeah, let's bring on some William Conrad and Joe Penny. I mean, it is, you know, we are in desperate times here. But I will say, um, it looked pretty awesome. Also, uh, how can we forget Oscar nominee Marianne Jean-Baptiste? I don't know where she's been the last 25 years, but I'm, I'm so pumped for this movie. Can I change my most excited movies of 2020? This has to be number one. <laughs> It does look pretty awesome, yeah. So between between hearing about Masters of Air coming out and then uh, and then the Fat Man trailer, uh, it definitely uh, helps uh, mask the disappointment of seeing how many different things are getting pushed to next year between James Bond and uh, at least Soul will have on Disney Plus. So sorry, Todd, you got to get Disney Plus by Christmas. Yeah, I I can't believe they actually did that. <laughs> like and it's not a premium thing drums. either. I know it's not a I, premium thing. It's just there. I know, and missed opportunity there. I can't. I that should have been one of the ones that definitely got got bumped. But, but I don't. I maybe Mulan that, didn't do as do as well as they thought on the premium I, thing. So I, don't I know. think it's that, and I think they really think that they have a a best picture contender here, and so let's try and get as many people to see it as possible. Well, how- and so when they compared like Hamilton and Mulan and how those did, Hamilton probably must have done a whole lot better. I'm sorry, I was going to say, Todd, how do you not have Disney Plus knowing that both Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World are on that, pl- all the episodes are on the platform, aren't they? 
that well, I own all the Boy Meets World on DVD anyway, so I mean, <laughs> I suppose that's true. You do need the the behind the scenes footage. I don't know if that's on Disney Plus. All right, well, uh, Zach, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking uh, something called pineapple, truly pineapple hard seltzer, but I think it's more truly pineapple hand sanitizer. That's what it tastes like. It's pretty <laughs> awful. I like that. I like that. Just just say just say it's HS and some will think hard seltzer and you say hand sanitizer. I like it. I, I'll go along with that's how hard seltzer tastes. Yep. Yep. I like it. Todd, what do you got? Uh, it's bourbon and cherry coke. And yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. It's the South Shop bourbon, so it's good anyway, but I decided to put cherry coke in it for some reason and I'm ready to roll. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah, we. Uh, I see you're wearing your uh, your Seahawks gear there. I have on my my jersey. Um, yeah, we're recording before the game today, so uh, so we can't talk about how it went. Even though this will come out after. They, they are play, wearing but... lime today too, aren't they, Terry? Yeah, that's why I wore I wore my old school Marshawn lime green uh, Seahawks jersey. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, has yeah. Minnesota Anyways, ever beat the Seahawks? Like, they had the missed field goal game. I feel like you guys own that team. I think I, it's six in a row that we've won over the Vikings. Yeah, so, the, the Vikings yeah, have not been playing great, I mean, but that probably means we're going to lose. Russ throwing five <laughs> touchdowns the other night. That was great. We can just already talk about it. We know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx anything. Okay, uh, I am drinking, so I went to uh, Ridgewalker and uh, got another Growler Fill. Uh, this is a brand new uh, brew they have out in honor of all the uh, all the firefighters and first responders that have been working with all the wildfires out in this neck of the woods. So this is the Local Heroes IPA. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we didn't have room in our fridge for the Growler, so I just it just got poured into a giant jar. So I've got a giant mason jar of beer today. So... Cheers. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Looks like iced tea. It kind of does. It is definitely not iced tea. All right. Um, let's get into what we've been watching this week. Zach, why don't you go first? Okay, so uh, this week I ventured where a few straight men have ventured before, and that is to watch the Netflix hit series Emily in Paris, starring the inimitable uh, Lily Collins as the titular Emily who is a uh, Instagram um, influencer who works for a marketing firm in Chicago, and she works for Kate Walsh. But in the opening episode, she finds out that she's been uh, she she takes Kate Walsh's promotion and transfers to the branch of the firm in Paris, where she definitely sticks out because um, you know unlike the French, she doesn't smoke. She actually shows up to work at 8 a.m. instead of 11 a.m. and um, she tries to push. Yeah, she doesn't speak French at all. She's an ugly American in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, but, you know, they're ugly French people, too. So, I mean, the, the show is like a mutual celebration of the worst aspects of American culture and French culture. And the French people in the show are definitely jerks. And, you know, one of the things about this show that's gotten some negative pushback is, is the French reception of the show. Um, and, again, I don't know how you could honestly be someone who watches this show and not also think that um, Americans come off pretty badly, too, in the show. But, anyway, it is by, it's from Darren Starr, who is the creator of Sex and the City. This is definitely chick flick territory. I see it's... D it's 
chick flick DNA being a, a mixture of Sex in the City meets The Devil Wears Prada meets Eat, Pray, Love. It's like a, 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 a combination of those three because you definitely got the fashion, you got the food, you got the tourism, and um, you definitely have a sort of Sex in the City uh, chic heroine. Um, Lily Collins is the reason to watch this show. I think she's awesome. She's in like every scene of this show and uh, she absolutely nails, I think, the performance. This show has about an IQ of 12. It's not exactly a show that you need to like watch every episode and take notes on and then try to interpret the deeper existential meaning of. Um, even though there are definitely, there's, there is a French character in this movie or show who is a professor of semiotics, which is a, a funny uh, sort of, um, you know, caricature of French people in itself. I think it's incredibly entertaining. We're living in horrible times in 2020. Um, you know, it is a nice sort of breath of fresh air, escapist entertainment. Um, it definitely doesn't have, it, it has a, a high degree of white privilege, but not, but it, it does it in a sort of self-referential way that was lacking in Sex in the City, if you were to rewatch that show. I think it's pretty entertaining, um, you know, solid, solid fashion choices, solid French mockery all around. It's, it's, it's solid entertainment. So what you're saying is, this wasn't your choice to watch. Um, Terry, I think if you know deep down in my soul, you know that I like chick flicks. So I'm not going to say that. That's I, true. I, I, That's I was true. on. I am on board with this show. I think it is actually pretty funny. Um, I would probably watch it before I would watch the Band of Brothers sequel. <clears throat> wow, that's that's sad. It's less okay. of a commitment. Yeah. That, well, it's a mint. Whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm going to go next. Uh, so my watch this week, my anniversary watch goes back 10 years. Uh, it was nominated for one Oscar for sound editing. You guys know what it is? U571. One, no. 2010, oh. one oh, Oscar years. nomination for sound editing. Uh, I got nothing. It is the uh, Tony Scott-directed Unstoppable, starring oh. Denzel Washington and Chris Pine. Uh, I'm also looking here on IMDb. Apparently, Tony Scott got a Best Director nomination from the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards, which here you go. I didn't even realize was a thing. This um, is also one of Tarantino's top ten of the decade, according to him, which he hasn't released his whole list, but, you know, he said that. <laughs> Well, okay, I was actually pleasantly surprised by this movie. I, I was like, okay, it's going to be a dumb action movie, and uh, and it was kind of in that time when when Denzel was making some of these just, like, dumb action movies that, you know, are just popcorn flicks and, and move on. But it was actually a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I'm giving it three stars. Uh, Denzel is doing Denzel things. Chris Pine... I mean, it's Chris Pine 10 years ago, and so he's kind of a screw-up that's, you know, not really dedicated to the job. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I was, it was a thrilling, it was a thrilling movie, and uh, especially knowing that it was based on a true story is kind of crazy. Um, I was watching with my wife, and she said, I didn't know that they could make a, a suspenseful train movie in, like, the last 50 years. And apparently they were able to, so... Uh, but uh, it, it's good. It's it's actually a really good movie, um, and it it reminds me how much we miss Tony Scott making some of these these fun action movies. So uh, three stars for Unstoppable. Uh, it's just fun to say that this movie was an Oscar nominee. So <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it was going to. 
Well, a lot of those Tony Scott movies kind of feel the same. Like, The Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, or whatever. Like, there were a lot of those movies right around that time that all seemed like the same movie. And I, I wasn't crazy about Unstoppable, but it was watchable. Uh, yeah, it's, it was watchable. It, it got you engaged. You, uh, you were, you were, yeah. You, it's impossible to not get sucked into it. And so, uh, yeah. Solid movie. Okay, Todd, what do you got? Uh, so my Nicolas Cage movie was called Pay the Ghost. Uh, from 2015, directed by the German director Yuli Edel, who was nominated for an Oscar for the Biter Meinhof Complex, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but Nick Cage plays this guy named Mike Cole. He's a professor, and he gets home late for trick-or-treating, so he ends up taking his son to a carnival instead. And his son starts acting weird, and he kind of disappears. And him and his wife, played by Sarah Wayne Callies, who, according to... Or, uh, depending on your sensibilities, is either Sarah Tancredi or uh, Lori Grimes, but uh, she is she's an awesome actress. She actually acts her ass up in this movie, and the movie doesn't really deserve it. But uh, Mike ends up becoming like obsessed with like child abduction things and tries to uh, do it, have his own investigation, to try to figure out what happened to his son. Uh, I never really seen like a supernatural abduction movie before, but this kind of I guess it changed that. It's it's spooky but not really scary, sort of like Secret Window or something like that. And there's no real dread, is or there's there's no real impending doom. And Cage is kind of just like Benjamin Gates in National Treasure or something. And the movie drifts off into like this the house that Jack built territory, which was kind of odd. Uh, it's it's about like grief and like misguided ambition and regret in times of depression but it's not very good uh it's sort of i mean i guess it's closest relative would be like the happening or something like that it's a one and a half star movie somewhere between amos and andrew and dog eat dog on the cage scale but uh yeah but it's by an oscar nominated director i'm not sure how he ended up on this project though always good when we can get an amos and andrew shout out on the podcast yes well done classic yes All right, all right. Well, let's uh, get into what we're doing today. We've got a movie, a couple movies to review. We've got uh, we've got uh, a couple top five lists that we're going to be looking at. We've got trivia and all that fun stuff. So let's hop into it. We have our featured review first. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. And this is the latest uh, Netflix film to come out. There were several uh, Netflix movies that came out this last week. And no, we're not talking about Hubie Halloween this week. I'm sorry. I'm Aww. sorry for all you Adam Sandler fans. Um, however, it would have been kind of fun to review, you know, his his revenge crap film he said he was going to make next after nobody uh, gave him any love for Uncut Gems. But, um, but instead, we're reviewing possibly the most came out of nowhere like awesome movie of the year at least that's what i'm saying it is because i'm giving this movie three and a half stars this is the 40 year old version any more thought on what kind of play we want to write remember if you put in nothing it'll be nothing like your career Remember this face? She was one of Spotlight Magazine's 30 under 30 playwrights to watch. We watched, but where'd she go? How are you? Good. Archie tells me you're teaching. 
How's somebody who ain't had no real hit gonna tell me how to write a play? She ain't no Tyler Perry. I did win a 30 under 30 award. Yes, it was quite a couple of years ago. What do I gotta do? Write a slave musical, an all white play? This some bullshit. It rang a little inauthentic. I asked myself, did a black person really write this? This some bullshit, bullshit. Think about me doing hip hop. Doing what to it? I want to make a mixtape about the 40 year old woman's point of view. Why my skin so dry? Why am I yawning right now? Why them AARP sending shit to my house? This is 40. Hey, Uma, what you need? <clears throat> Beats, tracks. For what? For me? Yo, here's a little story about a girl who's black. Let's add some asthma attacks from all the courtyard crack. Yo, no happy blacks in the plot lines, please. But a crane shot a big mama crying on her knees. Yo, yo, it's Rodham is Prime, 40 year old version. Go, Rodham! Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> this is about creating something that is mine. You're not just talking about shit, you're making shit. Shit! I got you. You don't think I'm some crazy old girl for doing this? I mean, I ain't say all that. 40-year-old version. White man with a black woman's butt. How you carry all that back there? What the fuck? Yes, what the <laughs> Written and directed and starring uh, Rada Bla uh, Blank, who kind of came out of nowhere. Um, she has, uh, I'm looking at her IMDb page here. She was worked on the, uh, on the TV show. She's got to have it, which I believe is a Netflix show. Um, and she's done, she's been a co-producer on that. She's written a couple episodes. She's acted in a couple things. She directed a made for TV movie five years ago. Other than that, I mean, she's kind of coming out of nowhere and, writes this movie and directs it and is the star of it and what i love about it is it is a movie basically indirectly about her making this movie uh she is she plays um a girl named rada who is pushing 40 and she is someone who has this uh has this uh stigma of she was supposed to be something. She won an award back in her, her 20s saying she was an up-and-coming screenwriter in New York and uh, or playwright and was going to be a, something big on Broadway and then just nothing ever came of it. Now she's teaching drama in a high school uh, in, uh, in New York City. And she decides to... Um, she has to try and decide, is she going to kind of sell out to make sure that something that uh, she's written actually gets to the stage, or is she going to potentially reinvent herself? And her idea of reinventing herself is as a rapper. And so she kind of digs into this hip-hop scene and um, and makes friends with a, with a DJ named D and uh, tries to figure out what she wants to be moving forward. And it's kind of her midlife crisis. And uh, I, like I said at the start, I loved this movie. I thought it was a fresh, um, a fresh new take on um, on this type of story. Uh, you have uh, a really dynamic uh, personality kind of head and everything. And 
I love how this is uh, just kind of an uncompromising, exactly what she wanted to make type of movie, which is exactly what she's fighting to do in uh, in the movie. And I, I just love that that parallel of of that, where um, uh, where she's fighting against you know stereotypes and there's definitely some some systemic racism hints in there and uh and she's trying to battle through it while also not you know killing her career at the same time uh it's a lot of fun she's really funny uh, a lot of the moments are really are really great um i would say it's almost a four-star movie but i would say it's probably about 15 20 minutes too long um, there's, it, it gets a little slow, uh, as it's like transitioning from act two to act three. Uh, but, uh, other than that, this movie is a whole lot of fun. It's awesome. Uh, it's, it's great to see a fresh story from a fresh face and a fresh voice like this, um, talking about things in a way that we don't necessarily hear them talked about very often. So three and a half stars for me. I loved it. Uh, Todd, you're next. What did you think? Uh, I agree that it was about 20 minutes too long. I, it was a lot like the movie Patty Cakes from a couple years ago. I thought that was a great movie. This one, I did not. I did not really like this movie at all. It's mm. it's shot in this like really ugly black and white. Usually black and white really spices it up. But this, I mean, those neighborhoods in New York are so distinct in how they look. She really like lost all the local flavor by making it in black and white. And I don't really know why she would have done that. Um, it owes a lot to Woody Allen, I feel like, and its structure and, like, awkwardness of situations and, like, low-key unfunniness in a lot of spots. And it also, for some reason, is called The 40-Year-Old Version, and there's a song called This Is 40. I don't know what she is trying to do with Judd Apatow, but, it, I mean, there's clear references there, <laughs> but it does not make any sense whatsoever. Um, I was surprised that it wasn't ordered as a series by Netflix. I mean, like, could have been, like, Master of None or something if it had room to breathe, but instead it's, like, stuck in this, like, sort of, like, awkward little movie. Uh, I, I think Rada Blank has definitely rapping talent, and uh, she has a way with words, but I don't think she's a good actress at all, or, nor is she interesting to watch. I mean, she's basically like, miscast in her own lead role, which is really strange. I thought my favorite part of the movie was Peter Kim playing her like oddly paired best friend from high school. Uh, and I don't know why this movie isn't considered a musical. Like, every key moment in the movie is done through rap, because the actors can't actually express themselves through, like, uh, effectively through words. And, like... I mean, it works in some parts, like Blind Spotting is a good movie about that, but it's coming sort of like a gimmick. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I guess I'll give it two and a half stars, but I, I really was not a fan of this movie. Wow. Okay. So I've got, I've got it at three and a half. Todd's got it at two and a half. Zach, you going to split the difference? Oh, you know it. I give it three stars. Um, right, right in between. Um, so I'll, I'll start with the parts, uh, that I like, which is more Terry's side. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Rana Blank is a, a really original voice. Um, I liked the aesthetic of the movie. I thought actually it was really well shot. Um, and the black and white I thought really added a nice feel to it. It was very reminiscent of like an eighties or nineties movie. Um, what did it add? The vibe. It, it had sort of a grittiness and it felt like it was behind the scenes and I kind of liked that. It felt like it was because a lot of this was like looking at the parts of her life that she didn't want to put publicly, right? Like her unkept apartment and the homeless guy across the street and the, the mess that she has in the classroom that she's trying to supervise. I thought that was that, that was kind of cool. 
Um, I honestly, had, it made the whole thing almost feel like a music video. Yeah, well, and like a little bit. Okay, so like, okay, I, I got to bring this up. So Adam texted me. He's seen this movie. He said it was Clerks meets Hustle and Flow, which I thought was a great, great <laughs> uh, uh, comparison. I said it's Sideways meets Madonna, Truth or Dare. Um, but maybe none of those are correct. But you know what? It's like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe that wasn't that wasn't so hot. Uh, but anyway, okay. So um, it is a likable movie. I like Rod Blank. I like the the characters in the movie. Um, here's the problems with the movie, though. Um, and Todd touched on a few of them. Yes, it's too long. Yes, there's too many characters. Uh, really, I don't think what Rod Blank is it, what she's doing is that revolutionary. I think Robert Townsend, for example, was doing it probably about 30 years ago and didn't really get this recognition. Um, you know, yes, do do black art have to sell themselves out in order to get a commercial reputation um, and uh, to get a contract? Yes. Um, I thought the character of Whiteman was really, like, or Whitman was a very kind of one-dimensional character. Um, and I, I don't know, I felt like, it, again, a caricature that I wish had had a little bit more depth. Um, I do think, though, there's a lot of depth with the Rod Blank character. I liked her character, and I especially liked her interactions with um, the character of Dee, who's played by, I think, a first-time actor I saw, um, Oswin Benjamin. And I think they're dynamic they have great chemistry and i would actually prefer to just watch kind of a movie about even just a non you know, i didn't even need a romantic relationship between them to me that was sort of ex excessive i would just like a movie about black creative folks um, who are struggling and have been raised in a, a creative um, environment they're both from creative families those scenes i thought were really cutting edge and and fun to watch um you got you know you got to see two um i think great performances and some very interesting dialogue about what it really means not just to be black but also to be creative um, in this environment where you really have to kind of sell out in order to get any sort of reputation or, or paycheck. Um, and again, that's not the, the most terribly original, um, you know, uh, 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 obstacle in the world. Um, I did feel like, you know, the first hour of this movie was kind of a breath of fresh air. And then I kind of had to sigh a little bit as I saw the movie going in more conventional direction in the second half or big opening night. I've seen that in a million movies. Um, and I uh, you know, the final confrontation to me just felt really unrealistic. I don't know uh, how, I, I mean, you know, you've, you've built up this character. Even her final exchange with the homeless character at the end of the movie even kind of recognizes the pitfalls of the conventionality of the plot. So, uh, I, I, you know, you have to deduct some points there. But on a whole, it was a pretty interesting experience. I liked it. I wish, you're right, Todd, it, it should have been a series because I think it has a lot of interesting things to say. But two hours and ten minutes um, was not enough time and simultaneously too much time for what should have been a more... Um, intimate uh, character study. Yeah, I'll agree. It kind of it kind of struggled to figure out how to end it, but I thought I thought the ending it 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 hit strong. It just the way it had to go to get there took too long. Now, another thing I will say about this is, as I was watching it, I kept on thinking, okay, there are there are characters in this that uh, belong on many of the lists and many of the categories we uh, we've talked about on our podcast. Like, uh, if, if you want to know what a Karen is, listen to the, the uh, monologue the director gives about what this what her play is about. Like, that is, like, the definition of a Karen. Um, I, I thought that was pretty good. And then uh, I could easily throw in to the, um, to the uh, Amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller Award the homeless guy across the street. I mean, he was, he was just great. And him and the old lady old lady neighbor that she's constantly interviewing like those two together were 
the were the best part of the movie. See, I, I disagree with that, Terry. I felt like all of those were sort of stock characters. They didn't they didn't feel really alive to me. Particularly the the white director lady. Like that that has been a caricature for thirty years. I think I, I don't feel I don't feel like that's saying anything new. I think D is. Oh, a I'm character. not. I'm, I, so, I, I agree. I agree with that. I'm not saying it was a good character. I'm just saying that that is like that is the definition of what a Karen is. Yeah, that I, character. But, you know, I mean, Rada Blank has said that this is semi-autobiographical. So, you you know, absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that it isn't that what we see in the movie doesn't actually exist in real life. Um, I think going back to maybe a little more to what Todd was saying, I think it's about the treatment of it and the kind of depth that I wish um, she had had a little bit more time and maybe resources to, to fully invest in. However, as a whole, though, it is an enjoyable experience. It, it's a perspective that we don't see a lot of 40-year-old um, female playwright black female playwrights on screen. Um, and uh, that alone, I think, makes the movie worth worth watching and worth um, hearing its perspective. But um, you're right. I think I think it would have had maybe more meaningful impact had it been in a longer form narrative. All right. All right. So we're uh, we're all kind of we're, we're, we're spread out a little bit here. I give it three and a half. Zach gives it three. Todd gives it two and a half. I thought we were going to be thrice approved on this one. And Todd, you disappointed Todd. me. But um, it's always one of us. I, yeah, there's always one of us. Uh, I know Adam really liked this movie too, so uh, so you can. Um, it's easy to find. It's on Netflix right now, and I will say it is. Uh, it's one of. It's a smaller movie that's on Netflix. I mean, you you go on Netflix right now and you look at the top ten, and it's stuff like Hubie Halloween and and some of the new shows that have been coming out. You got to search for this one a little bit, but it's worth searching for so that movies like this still get their still get their views, and still get their voices heard. So, And if you're searching for a Steve Carell movie, you'll probably come across this movie. It's possible. It's possible. <laughs> <laughs> for your version, this is 40. Nobody gets knocked up, though, so... <laughs> That's true. There are funny people. I, I don't know. I should that, probably yeah, was, that, yeah, that was bad. <laughs> I, I do have to say that I would be really interested in seeing Harlem Avenue, or Harlem Ave, um, live. I, I was very intrigued by that, and I thought they actually did those. Even though the whole the, the whole thrust of that subplot was a little overdone, um, I did like the performance and I liked the music. I found myself kind of seeing it afterwards. It 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 was definitely uh, a cool part of the a, a cool part of the movie. Yeah, I was the music even is as awesome whitewashed all throughout as the movie. Yeah, yeah, the music is pretty great all throughout. Okay. So and the epic that is our I'm sorry and review. the rap battle I'm sorry got got to add that in oh, no, no, we haven't mentioned yes. that but that's like a stand and I think that's where Todd was was uh, uh, you know alluding to patty cakes but that that's an awesome part of this movie and again if you only have ten minutes to watch of this movie that's the chunk you should watch yeah that was pretty cool for sure all right all right so uh, let's move on from that into our spotlight segment spotlight. <laughs> And we're doing for our spotlight segment something we haven't done in a while. We're doing a come to the stable review, and uh, this is something that uh, was inspired by a topic that came up on last week's podcast, as we were doing a deep dive of leaving Las Vegas, and and Todd just kind of passively dropped a bombshell on us that uh, that not I wouldn't say it was necessarily a bombshell that Nicolas Cage and leaving Las Vegas is a top top, top five. 
uh, male performance of all time for Todd. That that I don't think was a huge bombshell. Male lead, but male lead performance. However, as he went through his list, and number four on that list was this movie that I'd never heard of. Uh, Zach, had you even heard of this? Oh yeah, I said it was the conductor movie. Yeah, he <laughs> oh yeah, owns the condu- it. yeah yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. He owns it. Yeah. So uh, it, his number four is Rex Harrison in Unfaithfully Yours. Twentieth Century Fox brings you one of the most enjoyable and fascinating motion pictures that has ever borne its trademark. This prize package of amusement stars Rex Harrison as a world-famous conductor, Linda Darnell as his beautiful and flirtatious wife, Rudy Valley as his wealthy, moronic brother-in-law, Barbara Lawrence as his pert and saucy sister-in-law, and many others of your favorite entertainers. Unfaithfully Yours is six kinds of picture all rolled into one. It is a picture of great music. A picture of sheer terror. A picture of hilarious comedy. Keep cool, Alfred, my sentient aunt, I am outraged. Please, Alfred, no, as my opinion has always been of you all. As little as I've ever expected of chivalry or even common dignity today, you've sunk below even yourself. This is the sewer, the nadir of good manners. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. A picture of tense drama. What's that on the floor? Oh, it's the razor. Don't touch that. Might have fingerprints on it. Oh, Tony, Tony, what have you done? A picture of sparkling dialogue. I don't know what's the matter with him tonight. Too much temperament. Give me the simple viewpoint. You've got it, boy. You don't have to yearn for it. A picture of high-temperature romance. You do everything so well. You taught me, darling. Yes, this is another hit by the man who gave you the miracle of Morgan's Creek. And so, uh, so that's what we decided to do a come to the stable review of. So, Todd, since this is like this is inspired by you, I'm assuming you watched it again this week yeah. uh, for the podcast. So, tell us about it and why it is uh, it is so amazing. Okay, uh, Unfaithful Yours is by, uh, directed by Preston Sturgis, who made some of the best movies of the 30s and 40s, and. Uh, it is about this conductor named Sir Alfred de Carter, and is played by Oscar winner Rex Harrison, not for this movie, unfortunately. Uh, and he asks his brother-in-law to look after his young wife as he's away uh, on business, And uh, but he kind of misunderstands that, so he hires a private investigator to spy on her, and it's revealed that he's, she, uh, she spent a very suspicious 38 minutes in his assistant's apartment, so during one of his symphonies, he's sort of imagining to himself the three ways he can handle it. He's either going to uh, have the perfect murder, or he's going to accept it by giving her his blessing, or he's going to play a game of Russian roulette. And Preston Sergis has a really distinct style with his movies, uh, particularly his dialogue. Like here, his words like they overlap on each other all the time, and it's in a way that only he could do without being like chaotic. And Rex Harrison is insane in this movie he is the focus of every single scene he's larger than life in some scenes he's contained in other scenes and he is hilarious with like his diction uh he could 
spice up any script, but, like, Preston Sturgis is a special screenwriter, and uh, that combination just is amazing, and he's fascinating to watch, and his aura just bursts off the screen, because any other stuffy British actor at the time would not have been as zany and unsympathetic and quirky as Harrison's able to be. Like, it is one of the highest war performances I've ever seen, and, for me, the greatest comedic lead of all time. Uh, The movie's pretty wild and suspiciously dark, but... uh, even when it gets outrageous, uh, I, I still I, I still think it's pretty awesome. It's a three-and-a-half-star movie and one of my favorite Preston Sturgis movies. All right. Well, Zach, you own this movie. You own the Criterion, do. don't you? Yes. All right, And but you hadn't watched it yet. You watch it for the first time this week. Um, how much do you agree or disagree with what Todd just said? I mean, I... I, I'm sh- I'm shocked. I'm floored that Todd could put this in the top five lead male performances of all time. I mean, regardless of what I think about the movie, which I'll say in a minute, but like, how could you put this over like Paul Giamatti in Sideways? I mean, honestly, like what? It's it's like a fine performance, okay? It's like Alec Guinness light, if you were to ask me. But like, what what about this performance? I mean, he doesn't have to do that much in the movie. It's not a lot of physical acting. It's not a lot of like uh, facial expressions. He doesn't have to do anything with his body too much. It's not like long soliloquies or anything like that. Like, there's definitely some funny parts to his character. My favorite part of the movie is when he has to re- rebuild his record player i mean that was funny but like he you know like what i mean honestly chaplin did that 10 years earlier and would have done a much better job of it so like what i I, i'm still kind of at a loss to see why this is like one of the greatest performances ever i mean i think i said that but (laughs) (laughs) well he just doesn't disagree or doesn't agree I, th- yeah, I, think- I mean, I, I can't see any other actor doing that better. I mean, Alec Guinness, I, I feel like, is way too is way too stiff for this. Like, Rex Harrison is out there, and, and he, like, I can't see basically any other actor at any of any era doing being able to do that. Well, okay. I mean, have you have you seen Kind Hearts and Cornets? I mean, this is a movie. Look, Unfaithful Years is a movie that desperately wants to be an Ealing comedy. Okay, like one of those British movies from the late '40s, early '50s, and um, I don't think it ever quite gets there because Preston Sturges is, is a little bit more invested in um, uh, kind of um, I would say pithy dialogue than big set pieces like you would see in Ealing movies. But like, if you watch Alec Guinness in Kind Hearts and Cornets, that's an amazing performance. Okay, he plays eight different people in that movie. He was like doing what Eddie Murphy did in Doctor Doolittle fifty years before Eddie Murphy did it. That is an astonishing feat of acting. And this one is like, I think he's he's fine. You know, I would agree. He's probably better in this movie than he is in for his Oscar win in My Fair Lady. But it's like, there's there's nothing like that exceptional about it. I do think my, my favorite part of the movie, though, was when he was fantasizing about um, setting up Tony and uh, he is laughing hysterically at on the court bench at the prospect of Tony going to prison. Somewhere, someone needs to make a meme out of that because i will agree that that was a great moment of acting and and he is pretty hilarious in that scene and the record scene but on a whole it's like it's it's a fine performance it's not even the thing that really stuck out the most to me about the movie though quite honestly well let's check out the most to you Oh, well, I mean, I, I guess just, um, you know, ter- well, Tarantino, you know, this is the, the sort of hidden subject here is that Tarantino loves this movie. And then I looked, did a little, did a little more deep, deep digging and saw that Pauline Kael loved this movie. So now it kind of, you know, the, 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 the through line makes sense a little bit there. Um, yeah, it definitely has some dark spots in it. And, and that kind of makes it funny. I mean, it goes to places that are sort of surprising for a 40s movie. I mean, the guy, you know, someone shoots himself in the head in this movie. And actually, the, I thought the funniest part of this movie was when um, Rex Harrison says, uh, you know, we're, we're, I, I, 
have you ever, he says to his wife, have you ever played Russian roulette? And then his wife says, oh, yes, I used to play it all the time with my dad. And then he says something like, I sincerely doubt that. Um, that, that, that was a very, very funny scene that, that worked pretty well. Um, there were definitely some funny moments in this movie. I give it a, a sort of a tepid three stars. It's not my favorite Preston Surge's movie. That would still have to be the Lady Eve or the Palm Beach story. But like, this movie def- definitely has some charm. And I do like that it go, it ventures into darker territory. Um, and, uh, but you know, I think it's just sort of a conventional sort of stock 40s movie that wants to be an Ealing comedy and, and doesn't quite get there. So I don't know. To me, it's like, it, it was okay. I'm glad I watched it. It's certainly better than some of the other movies we've watched in the Come to the Stable segment. Um, is it a truly great movie? I, 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 I don't know about that, but it was an enjoyable movie to watch for the most part, although there were stretches of it that kind of had awkward comic timing that didn't quite work. It was like it needed to be tightened up just a little bit. Okay, I think Dak Prescott just broke his ankle and just was carted off the field in a in Breaking a, news! In a cast. Yeah. Andrew Luck, now Dak Prescott. So we got so so it looks like for the foreseeable future Andy Dalton is the quarterback. I mean Adam Daly is the quarterback of uh of the Cowboys. The resemblance is uncanny. They they might Anyways. actually win some games now. Oh. Okay. So uh for me Unfaithfully yours, I'm giving it three and a half stars, which of course kind of puts me right in between you guys. Uh, I, I really liked Rex Harrison in this. I, I agree with Todd in the fact that this is probably one of the higher war performances. Like I could see this is this is something where I have trouble seeing somebody else in this. Um, and I also really like just the just the filmmaking of how of how you kind of go into his mind while the music is playing and while he's playing different different songs of his of his uh, concert while he's conducting different songs different storylines are playing out in his head of how he could uh, how he could work through uh, the situation he's in and uh, I, yeah I, I thought that was, that was kind of fun and then as he tries to actually pull off the situations all the all the chaos ensues and and it, it was a lot of fun that was uh, a terrible no chair. one can deliver. It was, and then, and then and then he goes and gets another one of the exact same chair to try and do the do it again. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was ill advised. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I I agree. It, it's a it's a great movie, um, and few people can do that fast paced dialogue quite like Rex, Rex Harrison. Uh, I'm not going to say it's the greatest comedic performance of all time. I'm not going to say anything like that. I actually was kind of shocked that it never, it didn't get any Oscar consideration at all. Um, but, uh, Sergis was kind of just like overlooked his whole career by the Academy for some reason. Yeah. Not even Sullivan's travels. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I, I'm giving it three and a half stars. I think Rex Harrison is, is good in it. it. Even, even great, not, not legendary. Uh, I, I think he. I think he's much better in My Fair Lady. Um, but uh, yeah, which is what he won his Oscar for, right? Right. Well, it's a yeah. perf- it's a performance that isn't too far removed from from Professor Henry Higgins either. Come on, guy. It's like an episode of I Love Lucy, though. Like honestly, like th- this is the a kind of Lucy zany plot that you you would see. I also thought felt. I just remember that I, I want to say I. I 
I feel like there's like a really sort of sexist undercurrent in this movie. Like this movie is very much making fun of the female characters. Like that one shot of the female, the only females in the orchestra who are, you know, doing their nails while the orchestra is playing. Like that was, you know, I mean, just sure. Okay. Maybe it's funny in 1948, but like that's kind of lame today. And I also have to say that part, part of my re- reaction against this movie is I, I do feel as though um, the Rex Harrison character is just a big douchebag. I mean, I, he would be the biggest douche of the movie for me if we were doing a, 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 a rewatchables of it and, or deep dive of it. And, um, yeah, I just I didn't really root for him. I, uh, you know, I was kind of like this. This lady deserves better, and he's sort of a snobbish, pompish imp. And um, yeah, he should just get arrested and go to jail. Not Tony, but he should. Yeah, I, I kind of thought I kind of thought something similar as I was watching. Like this is definitely a movie of the '40s, and there's aspects of it that haven't aged great. Well, I can see but, how uh, a remake of it with Dudley Moore would be horrible. <laughs> well, now, well, now you got to watch that, Todd. Can you report back to us? Uh, uh, because that was supposedly a terrible movie. But I, I, I now I want to see it, but not really. I don't want to actually invest the time in watching it. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, like even to rent. I'll have to, I'll have to figure out a way to watch it. That's probably by design by the studio. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in honor of of us talking about this movie and of Todd revealing his top five male lead performances of all time, which uh, Todd remind us the, of the whole top five just so we can remember. Okay. Um, let me pull it up here real quick. Well, while he's doing that, what Zach and I did is we came up with our top five male lead performances of all time, which uh, I I know for me. I had never even thought about this topic before. Zach, had you ever actually formulated anything like this before this week? Um, n- not as intensely as I have this week. Okay. All right. Well, well Todd, do you I, have I, it up? Yeah. At one point, I just made all of my categories of, for all time and put them on a spreadsheet. So I, I have all of them <laughs> if we ever <laughs> want to go through more categories. But oh, my best actor list was... I had uh, Robert De Niro in Raging Bull with number one, Al Pacino in The Godfather, Jack Lemmon in Days of Wine and Roses, Rex Harrison in Unfaithfully Yours, and Nicolas Cage in Leaving Las Vegas. Man, Dak's foot was like facing sideways. That's just that's just sad. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, so that is Todd's list. And, I predicted what you, you know, I thought your li- guys' list would look like, because Zach was oh. kind of giving me shit the other day. <laughs> okay, so so do you want to reveal what your predictions are? So so let's do let's do Zach's list first. So Todd, give give your predictions for Zach's list, and then Zach reveal your list. Okay, Zach said his number one was going to be a cop out, so I'm not really sure what that means. So I said his number one is Orson Welles in Citizen Kane. Number two, Jean Pierre Cargill in The Wild Child. Number three, Ulrich Muhay in The Lives of Others. Number four, Tom Wilkinson in In the Bedroom. And number five, Harry Dean Stanton in Paris, Texas. All right, Zach, what do you got? Okay, I'm going to go in reverse order. Number five was Alexei Kravchenko in Come and See, the kid in Come and See. Number four, I had Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. Number three, Paul Giamatti in Sideways. Number two, Dustin Hoffman in Kramer vs. Kramer. And number one, I never should have mentioned that, Orson Welles in Citizen Kane. It's a cop-out <laughs> answer, but I mean... 
Come on, the movie gets, you know, praised up its ass, but no one talks about what an unbelievable performance that is. I mean, come, and that's without CGI, that's a, without a, a lot of resources. It's, uh, I, I know it's a cop-out, and I know the moment we put this episode out there, I'm going to think of someone else that I forgot in my list, but good call, good, 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 uh, good list, Todd. N- nice job. Well, I remember, one, like, maybe ten years ago, you told me The Kid in the Wild Child was the best performance you've ever seen in a movie, so... He's more of a I supporting had... performance, though. The lead character in that movie is more Francois Truffaut, but that is one of the great performances of all time. Like, yeah, that's a good call. Okay. All right. All, all yours are awesome, and I probably should have more of those on my list, but there's there's going to be no crossover here. There's going to be no crossover. It's not surprising. Um... Yeah, I did have I did have some that you mentioned on honorable mention though. Uh, all right, Todd, what is your predicted five for me? Okay, I guess I'll go start with five. Uh, for number five, I have Jimmy Stewart in It's Wonderful Life. Number four, Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump. Number three, Al Pacino in The Godfather Part Two. Number two, Clark Gable in Gone with the Wind. And number one, Peter Finch in Network. Ooh. Mm. I thought about that. Uh, Jimmy Stewart's on my honorable mention, but for Mr. Smith. Um, okay, uh, you got one of them right. So number five, I have Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. Um, I don't love that pick, but, um, I felt like it needed to be there. That's his Uh, best performance. Number four, I have Jim Carrey in Man on the Moon. Uh, of all the, like, biopics, that is, like, (laughs) disappearing into a role, like, that is, like, otherworldly. Uh, number three, Peter O'Toole, Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, something you just kind of have to have to think about um uh however he wasn't the best of the year because number two i have gregory peck to kill a mockingbird and then number one tom hanks forrest gump can't believe you have that number one <laughs> i i know i know i i i couldn't i i yeah and the other ones i had i had a few others listed here as i just kind of made i had russell crowe beautiful mind i said jimmy stewart mr smith um i had dustin hoffman for rain man uh, Daniel Day-Lewis for My Left Foot, Alec Guinness, Bridge on the River Kwai, Tom Cruise, Born on the Fourth of July. Uh, I ne- Like I said, I'd never thought about this list before, and so that was just kind of coming up with what I... standouts to me. So uh, so that's my list. Yeah, yeah and- I mean, none of them are as out there as Rex Harrison, but I mean, <laughs> otherwise I could I could have had a really conventional list, but I had to have one, like... My out there pick is Jim Carrey, Man on the Moon. That is out there. But of course, (laughs) if you know the history behind that role and how it changed his life, you know, that's, it's sort of like a Ronald Coleman and, you know, uh, the, the double life thing, like it over, it overtook his life. So, oh yeah, there's, you know, the documentary Jim and Andy is, is insane of just listening to him talk about how. He almost felt like he was like channeling Andy Kaufman throughout the making of that movie. It's it's insane. Okay, so the the one note that I wanted to make about my list is I'm at the, I'm at a point now where I can say that I I think the greatest performance on screen was not on a not in a film. I would say that it was James Gandolfini in The Sopranos. I think that was the greatest performance of any kind of media or narrative that I've ever seen. So it, it couldn't be on the list, but I think that's like the best acting I've ever seen in anything. Well, and I think I think it's safe to say you could do that. You could make a pretty convincing like top five television performances. And I, I don't think I haven't seen Sopranos. I, it's one of the ones I want to get around to. But anyone that's seen it would, I mean, 
it you wouldn't it wouldn't take long to convince them that James Gandolfini belongs on that list. Uh, Brian Cranston Breaking Bad belongs on that list for sure. Um, you could say like Michael C. Hall and Dexter belongs on that list. You could say um, I I would probably put someone like Hugh Laurie and House belongs on that list. Uh, you you've got some of these performances on, on television now that are just uh, amazing, and just being able to have you know up to like a hundred hours to be able to flesh out a character just changes the way you act too. I'm surprised no one mentioned Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon. I know Todd had Al Pacino for The Godfather, but that's one that I I was seriously thinking. That would be like my number six. A lot of the iconic Pacino performances, I need to go back and rewatch because it's been too long since I've seen them. Honestly, I think the only time I've seen Dog Day Afternoon was one of our random all-night movie binges in uh, in college, Zach. Really? Yeah, <laughs> we watched it at like... 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning, and, uh, yeah, that's, like, the only time I've ever seen it. And it, I think it was your pick. You were like, we should watch Dog Day Afternoon at 2 a.m., and then 15 minutes in, you fell asleep. That's well, a total Zach That's thing also to disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's okay. I could probably recite that whole movie, so. Uh, yeah, I, I was impressed you know, by on my it. list is sort of, like, a stand-in for Serpico and Dog Day Afternoon and The Godfather one, two, and three, like so. But uh, The Godfather, I think, is his best work. Well, and just like you have De Niro on the list for Raging Bull, which is a stand-in for Godfather Part Two and Deer Hunter and probably, Everything. what, King of Comedy Main and Streets. Well, Goodfellas. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, well, that was kind of fun. We may need to do more of those, of, of digging into uh, all-time... Uh, performances in different categories. I already regret my well, list. It was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah, easy it to overthink it. It yeah. is. It is. Okay, well, let's move on into our power rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And talk about another top five list we have going. And this is an all-decade list that uh, Todd got to pick because he won trivia. Not trivia. He won uh, our power ranking game, guest Adam's list, the best last time. So, Todd, tell us what we're counting down today. Uh, we are looking at the best movie trailers of the 2010s. Which I think is going to be fun because you could... It's going, like, for me, it's, like, the movies that got me most excited to watch a movie just from watching a two-minute clip of uh, Mashed Together. So, and that, and uh, I think there is an art to making trailers, and that's probably going to be reflected on my list. Yeah, I actually, I, I just remembered this. I wrote an article for the website, oh, it has to be, like, ten years ago now, on the art of the movie trailer. I'll have to look yeah. it up and uh, and talk about it a little bit as, as we get a little... As we get a little bit into this. Yeah, this was... I felt this was a really fun yet difficult list to make. Because like you said, Todd, it's it's looking at what are those uh, what are those trailers that got you most excited for the movie. Um, and I would say it's not necessarily even the trailers that best represented the movie. It's just the trailers that when you watched it, you were like, I have to see that. Or even just that was a great trailer. So... Um, 
And that's that's such a subjective thing that it was really hard to go back through and say, okay, this is what, um, this is what uh, what I remembered from ten years ago being a great trailer. I don't keep track of these things, so. Um, but uh, I, I, it was a lot of fun to, to put together. Uh, Zach, you're gonna go first, um, so you can kind of you know give Todd some crap about the the list and then give us your number five. Okay. Well, first thing that I'm gonna say, I didn't realize this was like. That, that the criteria would be, you know, trailers that would get you the most excited. Um, I, I, that's it doesn't not have to be. That's just the way I sort of thinking about uh, it. That's kind of, that, I, I thought of it as, like, the most memorable trailers. Okay, see, I, I more went, like, the aesthetic direction. Like, a trailer that really kind of challenged some conventions or maybe defied uh, what you might see in normal trailers or stood out in some way. I wasn't necessarily concerned with the movie. And, and in some of these cases, the trailer ended up being better than the movie, although I guess that's not particularly surprising. So... Uh, okay, I think my number five, I'm just going to put it out there because we could almost like put this in the uncut gems category of, um, you know, it's probably going to be all on our list. So I'm just going to put it out there. I'll be the first to say it. The Social Network. I mean, it's obviously the most influential trailer of this decade. Um, it inspired the moody cover songs. Uh, it uh, totally, you know, you got to remember, you got to think back, you know, like summer 2010. It's like, oh, really, David Fincher is going to make a movie about Facebook starring... Um, the Michael Sarah look-alike. I mean, really? Like, no one thought that. Everyone thought that if we thought that and the written by Aaron Sorkin. Everyone, if everyone thought that the Mel Gibson Santa movie was uh, trolling us, okay, the 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 Aaron Sorkin David Fincher's Facebook movie was trolling us until that trailer came out. Oh, by the way, it had Justin Timberlake in it too. But when that trailer came out, I think everyone sort of collectively gasped at how amazing that trailer was with the cover of Radiohead. That Radiohead song um, was it Creep. And uh, it just kind of was a standard bearer for the decade. Trailers tried to imitate the style of it, but could never quite capture it. It captured the movie perfectly without giving too much away, but it, it, it got you excited for it and entranced by it. And um, I remember the trailer better than I remember the movie. I know Todd loves the movie. He ranked it the best movie of the decade. We should be deep diving that movie at some point. But that is a truly uh, amazing trailer that was an unforgettable experience watching it um, for the first time in the theater. I mean, we actually showed that in our in our film class to undergraduates at KU. As it's the only time we've ever watched a trailer in a college class because it was just so amazing to watch. Fincher has a way with with trailers, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, I, I, you don't have to answer this, but I suspect it will be on both of your lists. If it's not, that's a pretty grievous oversight. It's not on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely one that, um, that is memorable though. It is memorable. Um, okay. So I found my article here. Uh, I wrote this article almost 10 years ago to the day. I wrote this September 26, 2010, the art of the movie trailer. And I had, let's see here. I had five rules. So my rules are number one, have a hook. Number two, leave some mystery. Like, don't say the entire plot of the movie in your movie trailer. Uh, number three, use good music. Number four, use, use footage that will be in the movie. Um, and number five, don't overexpose. And the main example I gave for that is Vantage Point. Because we saw that trailer for every single time at the theater for like a year and a half before that movie came out. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still a running joke. Uh, all right, so my number five, um, 
I always mention it. I had to put it on my list um, because, uh, and I even mentioned it in that article because it was a 2010 movie. It is the one movie on this list that I've never seen, but I remember the trailer. Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. Um, it is, all right, it is this animated PG movie about a bunch of owls and like them like fighting evil, I guess. I don't know, but you throw Kings and Queens by 30 Seconds to Mars on top of any trailer and it's going to make it awesome. And I remember watching this trailer 10 years ago and going, why, why does this one song all of a sudden make this kids animated movie about owls seem like the greatest movie ever and and it was just the one just the one song that just made this gave it this epic vibe and i had to it was it was awesome and i still have never seen it i need to see it but uh but yeah that that song changed that entire trailer and it's always whenever i think of what's a what are the what's a great movie trailer i think owls of gahul because of 30 seconds to mars so uh, it's number five on my list. I think nice. gotta have great music. You gotta watch that movie at some point. I do. <laughs> Report back when you watch it. <laughs> I will. I will. You're gonna be All the right. first person who actually watched it. Yeah, probably. Probably. Okay, Todd, number five. Okay, so I was not going to gimmickize my list, but I made a list of fourteen that I wanted to have on here, and I, when I came up with the top five, there were four that I actually gave the movie a thumbs down to, so I just said screw it and I made it five, or else the social network would obviously have been number one. So I have five movies that actually gave a thumbs down to that I, I think are the best trailers of the year. And my number five is from 2012, it was Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. And I remember after watching this trailer, I thought it had a chance like to be good enough to be like my number one of that year. Uh, like Steve Carell and Keira Knightley are like, subtle and like self-loathing as they're like the end of the world is coming like they have like at the beginning of the trailer it's like we'll be bringing you the countdown to the end of days along with all your classic rock favorites you know i mean it was just like this really quirky weird trailer and unfortunately the movie was just as cutesy as that but it was like it was never neared as as good as i thought the movie was going to be by the trailer i mean the trailer is definitely a better representation of the appeal that the movie should have had uh, there's a lot of like weird side characters, and you could just get touched on them by, by uh, like each one. It just seemed like a, one of one of those great road trip movies that I that I would really fall in love with. But unfortunately, I didn't. But I I, I remember watching that trailer. I was like that 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 movie has something, but it didn't. <laughs> I like it. I like the direction you're taking this, Todd. This is gonna be good. Do you All guys right. remember that trailer? No, I do not. I don't remember the movie either. It was directed by Lorene Scafaria, who did Hustlers last year. This was like her first big movie in, in Hollywood. I remember the movie. Never saw it, but I remember it existing. But, uh... Okay. But, yeah. And I will say, I went through uh, several where I was like, Ooh, I think I remember that had a good trailer. And then I pulled up the trailer and I'm like, Nope, don't remember this at all. So, that I like, I really went for the, like, memorable trailers. Okay. Zach, number four. Okay, so... Todd's taking his list in unexpected direction. That's kind of interesting. Okay, so um, I, I think I'm just going to keep my list intact. I'm not going to pull any audibles at the last minute. All right, my number four, I, I couldn't just go all commercial on this list. I had to go something that was artistic, um, art house, and 
kind of brutal and shocking. And um, the funny thing about this trailer is I don't actually think it's the official trailer for the movie. Um, if you look at the YouTube clip, it says it is teaser footage. So I also don't know if I ever saw this in a theater. I think I just saw the YouTube clip of it. But back when I saw it in 2013, it made an impression on me that just kind of creeped me out. And it is the teaser footage for Under the Skin, the Scarlett Johansson movie. Um, the, the teaser footage for it was, I think, released before the official trailer. So it is, it's really, like, unstructured. There's no, like, graphics or tiles. There's, there's a little bit of music in the background, but it's, and it's only 52 seconds long. Um, so it's basically just the most f***ed up parts of the movie that are just, like, flashing at you. And, um, again, it's incoherent. I mean, there's no story whatsoever. And, you know, you could maybe debate that Under the Skin is a movie that doesn't really have much of a coherent uh, plot anyway. But it is just, like, messed up footage. I mean, you see Scarlett Johansson, like, in her underwear emerging from, like, this black, gooey substance. And you see, like, this naked uh, uh, midget uh, running around on a beach. And you see people dying and suffering. And Scarlett Johansson getting picked up as a hitchhiker. Like, okay, there's definitely some, um, you know, uh, the House of Jack Built vibes, which Ta alluded to earlier. Um, it's, like, uh, just so classically weird and disturbing. It's obviously the stuff of nightmares. There's, like, some close ups of eyeballs Blair Witch style um again it's just sort of unforgettable um I remember the trailer better or the, the teaser footage I say better than the movie and I think it's actually a pretty accurate representation of what the movie was trying to go for which is just feelings of total like panic and anxiety and uh it's 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 pretty awesome watch it at your own risk all right I do not remember that and I never saw the movie yeah I don't remember the trailer I remember liking the movie though yeah, again, I don't know if this trailer was actually ever released. I just saw it, and seven years later, I can still remember thinking that it was, like, the creepiest thing I've ever seen. Way creeper than, right. the, than the movie was. All right, number four on my list is uh, another one kind of like that, where the trailer was much better than the movie, and the trailer was quite unforgettable. I remember watching it for the first time and being like, this looks like the craziest, most insane thing I've ever seen, and I have to watch this movie. Uh, and it is from 2011, and it was a trailer for the film Rubber, uh, starring Robert the Tire. Um, <laughs> yes. Who, uh, who could, through, uh, through telepathy, could blow things up. Um, it was the oddest, strangest, most bizarre concept I had. Like It was kind of like watching that Fat Man trailer of just like, wait, is this legit? Is this for real? And and it it's you just see a tire walking, you know, rolling down the road and then he blows up a bird on the side of the road. I I mean it's it it, it was so bizarre and it was like one of the I remember vividly watching that trailer and being like this movie is insane. This is an actual movie and the funny thing was that that probably was that should have been the movie. Like I I remember Todd and I both watched it, and we, I, we said this should have just been a short and because it didn't actually have enough substance to be a full-length movie. But, uh, but yeah, Rubber, that's my number four. Robert's a great tire, though. Ro Robert is a great tire. And he's also kind of a douchebag. Yeah, yeah. He's also he a stick man. <laughs> Memory serves. I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the actual movie you have like the spectators watching the making of the movie and yes. i mean it got it got into some weird territory in the actual movie but the trailer was just great it was just great all right todd 
Number four. Uh, my number four, I have The Good Dinosaur. Uh, it was uh, the first time that Pixar was really trying to show off like their lifelike visuals. Like the, the humans and the dinosaurs still look cartoonish, but like everything else looked stunning and super lifelike. And like it starts off with this like meteor that like whips by Earth, and so the dinosaurs never go extinct. And then you, the dinosaurs meet this young boy. And then there's, like, this song that kicks in that really swells up your emotion. And I was already looking forward to the movie because it was uh, by the director of Partly Cloudy, which is the best short that Pixar ever did. And P this was Peter Soane's directorial debut uh, in a feature films. And I was giving it, like, best picture type potential along with other uh, websites, RIP Awards Circuit. Um, but... The movie was overlooked, and, like, nobody really saw it in the theater for some reason, but I think, judging by that trailer, everyone should have gone to the theater to watch it. It had, like, a Christmas release. It was, I mean, it was not, it ended up not being a great movie, but, like, that trailer, like, that, that thing was amazing. I remember that now. Now that you mention it, yeah, that was a really good trailer. And it was, it was the second Pixar movie of that year. What was the, what was the other one that came out that year? 2015... Inside Out, I think. Was it Inside? Okay. So, so that even that even makes it work even better because I, I I was gonna say it's kind of it turned into like what Onward is gonna be for 2020. Because you're like, oh, the Good Dinosaur, that's gonna be that's gonna be the film, and then it was like, no, this is just really the kid friendly one. The the film was Inside Out, just like this year. Onward was oh, it was, it was good, but Soul is gonna be the the big player. So, um, that's true. Yeah, but that, that, uh, I remember that trailer now that you mentioned it. That's a good pick. All right, Zach, number three. Okay, so my number three trailer, uh, came out last year. And again, this is just, you know, big budget, mainstream tentpole movie that, um, maybe like the social network when it was announced as a concept people, um, were skeptical of. You know, the idea of the director of Hangover and Old School doing a movie about the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. But I think when people saw the trailer, like The Social Network, it validated all the kind of hope and anticipation and really got you pretty pumped and jazzed to go see it. And that, of course, is Joker from last year. And uh, Smile, Though Your Heart is uh, Aching, just a brilliant moody cover of that song and a brilliant compilation of some of the best moments of that movie without giving too much away. You saw Joaquin without his shirt on, his distorted, weird, mutated body uh, making those weird kind of semi-dancing movements. Um, you saw Robert De Niro, you know, reprising uh, the King of Comedy. Um, you saw the appearance by Arkham Prison. I mean, this is obviously going to be my number one pick for Adam. So I don't want to talk too much more about it. But I, I have to say, as a skeptic of Batman in general and a skeptic of comic movies, I have to reluctantly admit I was pretty freaking pumped uh, after watching that trailer. I was like, okay, this shit is real. Um, I'm, I'm in. I'm on board. Let's do it because it looked pretty awesome. That's a great call. It's a great call. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't one that I was uh, that I thought of. That's a good one. I, I forgot how good that trailer actually was. Yeah, I mean, okay. it was it was one of those that it it went beyond just the trailer drop. Like pe people, you know, on BuzzFeed were writing about it. You know, they were like already deconstructing the trailer and their best moments of the trailer and like Joaquin Phoenix laughing on the subway. Like that just shocked a lot of people. So it was it was one of those trailers that was an event, not just a trailer. Yeah, I have one from last year too, but it's not that one. 
Interesting. Uh, and it's not my num it's not my number three either. So uh, my number three uh, is probably oh I don't know if it is. It's it's one of the better movies that I have on my list. Um, it's from 2017. It's Logan. Um, this was a movie I I was I knew existed and was was getting excited for, but once I saw the trailer and you see you know the old grizzled man logan has become and you see the professor and you see the tone they're taking and then you put on top of that johnny cash's cover of hurt and uh and i mean for me so much of the trailer is the music and that music just made all the chaos of what's going on in that trailer just feel so much more poignant and so much more awesome and the and the trailer this is one where the trailer really fit the movie too because the movie really um really had that vibe as well but uh but yeah that was a trailer that got me pumped for a movie more than more than most so i had to put it on the list so logan's my number three i don't really remember the trailer Oh, it was a good trailer. Yeah, it was one of those where I was I went through and I I turned it on just to just to remind myself I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this one, this is yeah, this was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those that like I I know the trailer. I don't remember actually seeing it in a theater. I definitely like watched it on YouTube, you know, after the movie came out, but uh, I didn't quite have that same experience. But as you, but it was a pretty cool trailer. Yeah, definitely. All right, Todd, number three. Number three, I have. Uh, from 2013, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And as Terry Ooh, said, like, good the, call. the song really is one of the main keys in making like a lasting trailer impact. Because I had never heard that song before by of Monsters and Men, but it really contributed to like seeing what the like the wonder of the movie and what the movie was capable of. Uh, like I remember like there's that part where it's like uh, Ben Stowe like breaks through like an office like building wall, but he's like a mountain man and there was like like uh, snow behind him and stuff and I was like this movie is different and it was because of the how like the scope of the trailer and the imagination of it and it was like this it almost looked like almost Forrest Gump ish and uh, like I was predicted for a bunch of Oscar love like uh, and I mean it had Sean Penn in it as well like appearing in the trailer it was just something completely different and ultimately the movie was kind of hollow and but uh, the trailer the trailer was amazing and uh, I still feel like there's a version of that movie that wins Best Picture, but that wasn't it. But the the trailer made me think that it really had a chance. That's a great call. I remember that trailer got me super pumped for that movie, and it was just disappointing. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Zach, number two. Okay, my number two is uh, from 2018, and it is the trailer for uh, Star is Born. Another movie where I was maybe skeptical about the premise, the idea of a collaboration between Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, but this trailer really put all my worries and skepticism to the side. It was like after watching that trailer, it's, it's the only trailer from this decade that I could say that after watching it, I didn't think there was any way they could mess that up because based on the footage that, you, that they included in the trailer, the way Lady Gaga looked, the way Bradley Cooper looked, the dynamic that was obvious and evident right away in that trailer, and the song, Shallow, which went on to win the Oscar, it was just so clear that it was like obviously going to be a really good movie. And again, whatever doubt 
doubt, whatever skepticism, whatever cynicism you might have had about the idea of a musical um, with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga just kind of subsided. And uh, I thought the, the trailer was brilliant in showing um, the dysfunction and the uh, tragedy of the movie, but without giving away major plot points, distinguishing itself from its predecessors and um, looking like a serious Oscar contender, too. I mean, this was obviously not just a fun summer romance movie. I mean, this was something that was really well shot and uh, beautifully composed and took itself very seriously. So, uh, again, pretty awesome experience watching the trailer. And one of the few movies on my list that I would say that the trailer matched the quality of the movie. I was not let down by it. And, I, you know, I also have to give it props because originally I had a different number two, which I guess I'll now put in my honorable mentions. But the fact that it was the original song from the movie, I think, gives it sort of an added uh, plus. That's true. Yeah, that's a good pick. That was that was one that made my made my short list for sure. OK, my number two is my 2019 movie. And uh, this movie, uh, this trailer was probably the trailer that was the most just like jaw-droppingly awesome and I, I ended up seeing it a lot in theaters but it didn't it never really lost the impact and that's for 1917 um i thought that trailer was just stunning and just seeing seeing the scope of what this would be and then finishing it with him running across the field that epic that epic scene that pops up and then it slowly like fading into the numbers 1917 and then you add on top of that the song from the movie um i'm going back to the valley it it just it was so beautifully done and i loved watching that trailer and yeah every time i went to the movies for like three or four months that trailer popped on and i didn't really mind because i loved watching that over and over and over again so number two on my list is 1917 that's a good one, and the movie is almost like an extension of the trailer too. Like the 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 movie had the same feel and and impact as the trailer did, that, which is hard to do. True, true, and and the the trailer showed just enough of what was going to happen. Like it, it it's one that shows clips from like start to finish of the movie, but never really tells you more than you need to know about what's going to happen in the movie. I still haven't seen it. You still haven't seen 1917? Nope. I, you know, ever since I saw Ferris Bueller, I now need to have a movie that I can say I've never seen. So I think that's a solid candidate. I know it's not, it's not going to be the same experience not seeing it in a theater. I just, you know, I, I went into February and March thinking, hey, this movie's going to be around a while. And uh, then it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> then it wasn't. <laughs> oh, oh, that's just sad. Man. Okay. All right, Todd, number two. Uh, number two, I have Don John from 2013. Ooh, nice. you know, my body, my pad, my ride, my family, my church, my boys, my girls, my porn. And then it goes through it again, and then, like, good vibrations kicks in. I mean, I saw that trailer. I watched it probably 25 times. I showed it to basically everybody, and, uh, like, I just wanted to see, like, Tony Danza's in this movie, and, like, what is that accent Scarlett Johansson has, and Julianne Moore's in this movie? Like, the movie was not that as good. Like, it's, it has its moments, but those moments are definitely in the trailer. But that, that trailer, it had a vibe. Like, that was, a, like, a short movie in itself, and I love that trailer. Yeah, that's on my honorable mentions. Like, like, and I was sad that it missed my list, because you're right. That is one of the most original trailers of the decade. And like you said, it's like its own little mini movie that had nothing to do with the actual movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it got a completely different vibe. 
but it was really cool. <laughs> uh, okay. Good pick, good pick. All right, Zach, number one. All right, well, my number one was always going to be my number one. Uh, it's a trailer I saw back in 2011, back when the name Terrence Malick didn't make you think sellout hack, and that movie was The Tree of Life, which all three of us saw. And, um, you know, the trailer for it, I think, is magnificent. I mean, it uses um, different pieces of classical music. And what I love about it is, I mean, we, we in, the, in the 2010s, I think one of the things you can say is that we've really gone away from the voice of God narration. And we've gone to trailers that try to make the story a bit more abstract. So I really appreciate that. And I think The Tree of Life was one of the trailers that kind of ushered in that movement because there's no voice of God narration. There's no titles or, or anything like that. It's just um, every once in a while, voiceovers from Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain and Sean Penn, kind of like the real movie. Um, and just unbelievably beautiful shots. I mean, if, you know, going back to 1917, I mean, it's such a theatrical movie. The, the, the trailer for The Tree of Life should be seen in surround sound, uh, Dolby 5.1 in a theater. And thankfully, they did not include any footage of of the bad CGI dinosaurs. So I, I have to give it props for that. But uh, for me, that's the most easily the most unforgettable trailer of of the decade. And I think part of it really, too, not just the aesthetics of the trailer, but just, you know, back in 2011, Terrence, the idea of Terrence Malick coming out with a movie was still pretty exciting and unusual. Um, so I'm sure that had something to do with it, too. I was actually considering To the Wonder, too. Like That's a really that good trailer, trailer as well. Yeah. All right. I don't remember much of that trailer, but it had to be better than the movie. Um, <laughs> my number one uh, is... This is probably the trailer this last decade I electively watched the most often. Um, and uh, and it, it was probably... It got me more pumped for this movie than like any other trailer would. And that was uh, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Um, I, like I said, I think I electively, like, I went onto YouTube to watch this trailer, like, like, once a day for, like, three months leading up to that movie coming out. Just because it just was such a well-put-together trailer, it teased so many things, and it was the start of this new trilogy that we had no idea what it was going to be about. We saw all these new faces, yet you also see Han Solo in there, you see him able to, uh, hop back into the Millennium Falcon... You see all these things, and you don't know what they all mean, but you know that they tie into everything you love about Star Wars. Um, it was this this new restart of of this amazing franchise, um, and it was just a brilliantly crafted trailer. And like I said, it was it got me so excited to see the movie, and that's one that I I don't think it actually it disappointed either because I think Force Awakens was an awesome movie. So. Uh, my number one, uh, it was one of the first ones I thought of as I was thinking about this, uh, so I had to go with The Force Awakens. It's a, it's a good pick, but honestly, my number one is Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, which ah. was the most excited I've ever been for a Star Wars movie, and it was because of the trailer. The, the plot seemed just so modern, and it had this like slow-burning intensity. There's like the siren screaming in the background, and like the the score, like the adapted score, swelling up. And uh, I mean, it's like they're like, uh, there's a 97.6 chance of failure, percent chance of failure. And then like as Darth Vader in the end breathing after the title card, it was like a legendary trailer. I was like, this is gonna be the greatest thing. But I mean, the movie was kind of boring, and. Uh, 
I, I, I mean, but that that trailer got me so pumped to go watch this, and I'll, I'll never forget how how hyped I was like the first time, the second time, the tenth time that I watched the trailer. But uh, again, uh, a disappointing movie. But that that was the one. Other than the Social Network, that was the one most excited I've ever been after watching a trailer. This last decade. I like how both their number ones are Star Wars movies, and they're different Star Wars movies. I know, and, I, and I, I, and that. I don't mind. I don't mind that. I, I think I, that's a great pick too. I mean, you could almost say I'm, Star Wars. That's one thing they do really well. Is no matter what the movie is, they put together a really good trailer. I know. I like I, you. You got to take their trailers with a grain of salt, though. I guess because like this movie, it seemed like it was just like sl- this like dread of like before the attack kind of thing. But I mean, it never really got there in the movie. But uh, the, the the trailer was something magnificent, and like. Uh, Rise of Skywalker had an awesome trailer too, and that movie was trash. That's what I was gonna say. Rise <laughs> of Skywalker, that trailer was amazing, as well. Yeah. Okay, uh, Zach, you have any honorable mentions? I do. Um, I, ironically, I was going to include on my list the Wes Anderson presents Star Wars: Force Awakens trailer, the the Wes Anderson adaptation. If he had directed the trailer, do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. Oh God, you have to watch that. Okay, well, for those of you who do know it, it's if Wes Anderson had made the Star Wars Force Awakens trailer, and it is hilarious. Um, and um, yeah, so a few others I would say. Um, originally, my number two was going to be the Girl with Dragon Tattoo, um, but I, you know, again, two David Fincher movies, and uh, again, that the use of the immigrant song by Karen O, oh, which also was used in the Thor Ragnarok trailer, is magnificent in that trailer. But again, I chose. Star is Born because it was the original song. I also went, I also like uh, season five Breaking Bad when Brian Cranston reads Ozymandias. Absolutely it's stunning trailer. Got me so excited for that. More so than, you know, even uh, was you know needed. Um, Inception, Interstellar, Only God Forgives. I also had The Force Awakens in my honorable mentions. Blade Runner 2049, Secret Light of Life of Pets, which um, had the theater like rocking uh, with laughter, but not a very good movie. This is 40, kind of a similar experience. Um, you know, anytime you can get Paul Rudd's anus involved in a trailer, always, always a good thing. Cloud Atlas, I'm so excited, Zero Dark Thirty. And then I have a couple special shout outs. One is for the Morgan trailer, which was done by Watson, the I'm, I'm, or IBM machine, um, the AI that designed its own trailer. So that was sort of funny. And then the worst trailers, I had uh, all romantic comedies, Chef, how do you know? And then the worst trailer of the decade, which I, I almost want to put my number one best trailer because it's, it was such an art form to make such a truly awful trailer, and that was Aloha, which means hello and say, goodbye. I'm so excited, like the Almodovar movie. Yeah, yeah, the one where you know the flight the flight attendants all sing. I'm so excited for 50 seconds. That was a fun trailer. I, I've never seen the trailer. <laughs> that is a really it, obscure pick, though. <laughs> Well, my number one trailer from the twenty to, from the two thousands would have been "Talk to Her." Almodovar movies always have great trailers. All right, so I uh, for my honorable mentions, I have so many I just want to mention. So, I've got a six to ten, and then I've got another list that are like the honorable mentions of the honorable mentions. But anyways, uh, so my number six was Logan Lucky. Uh, I love that trailer; it was great. Uh, number seven, Mother. Um, that that was an amazing trailer. Number eight was Don John. Number nine, Foxcatcher, and number ten, Catfish. I remember that oh, trailer yeah. had me so intrigued that I drove like forty five minutes to go see that movie when it came out. It was um, and then, yeah, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a great movie, but uh, the trailer was amazing. Uh, and then the other ones I just want to shout out: One Hundred Twenty Seven Hours had a great trailer. Uh, Shutter Island had a great trailer. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. 
Uh, Get Low with Bill Murray and Robert Duvall. That trailer was amazing. Uh, Swiss Army Man. Uh, Sorry to Bother You. And then uh, another one where the music played a great role was that I never saw was The Crazies from 2010. Uh, where yeah. it was this like zombie attack movie and it was uh, Mad World playing in the background. Yeah, and it was that. like the first like really good artistic use of that and then everybody stole it from that. But it was it was such a creepy trailer of seeing all these like jump scare attack moments of these zombies and then Mad World playing in the background. It was just great. So that's my list. And of course Uncut Gems, but we're not picking Uncut Gems anymore because it would be on everybody's list. That's right. <laughs> All right, Todd. Honorable mentions. Uh, so my thumbs up movie trailer list. Uh, I have would have been the Social Network, the Town, the Sausage Party Red Band trailer because I watched that probably like <laughs> shit like fifty times. Uh, Us uh, because I mean that was a really creative trailer and definitely adapted a song that you wouldn't have thought and it made it completely creepy. And Spring Breakers. Of course, because that was, I mean, that was an amazing trailer. And then uh, my other ones that I w- was thinking about were was the Bling Ring ch- teaser trailer. Because I remember just, like, seeing that, like, 40-second clip. I was like, okay, I, I mean, I'm in with whatever they're, they're doing there. Uh, Black Swan I also had a really, really disturbing trailer. And The Wolf of Wall Street. But it was, like, a longer trailer. It was, like, three and a half minutes. But it was, like, through, like, the Kanye West song. And it was a... I, I remember seeing that a ton throughout, like, the, the fall of 2013 and geniusly put together all right all right so now let's uh let's attempt the impossible here let's try and read adam's mind uh if again uh adam daly he's part of the almost sideways family he is the host of the uh the side project on our podcast channel uh uh daily notes uh he has another episode um that by the time you're listening to this will be uh will be out where he uh, he talks to Lucy Reed, another uh, another uh, YouTube personality. So you can check that out. Zach, what is your prediction for Adam's list? I went number five, Moonlight. Number four, Star Wars: Force Awakens. Number three, Boyhood. Number two, The Social Network, and number one, Joker. Okay, uh, my list. I've got number five, Skyfall. Uh, number four, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Uh, number three, The Last Jedi. Uh, number two, Halloween. And number one, Whiplash. I don't even remember the Whiplash trailer. I went back and watched it, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, this yeah is, I remember it, it. It's like the perfect capsule of that of that movie. Yeah. I feel really, really good about this. Okay, number five, The Social Network. Number four, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Number three... The Wolf of Wall Street, number two, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and number one, which I thought was obvious, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, okay. Okay, so here we go. Here is Adam's list. Honorable mentions, he's got Logan, Johnny Cash Hurt Trailer, uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Mm. Feel Bad Movie of Christmas, uh, A Star is Born, the first trailer, uh, the teaser trailer for The Master, uh, the first trailer for Creed, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Damn it! <laughs> I knew that, I knew, because I remember he said he, like, cried during that trailer. Like, Inside information. And, and his last trailer on his honorable mentions is the Ballroom Blitz trailer from Suicide Squad. Okay, number five is the teaser trailer for Magic Mike XXL. 
Number four, Blue Valentine. That's a good trailer. I remember that one. Yeah. Number three, The Force Awakens. Number two, The Wolf of Wall Street. Number one, The Social Network. I got two. I got none. I got two as well. <sighs> I had Social Network five. I had and it. Wolf of Wall Street three. I had Social Network two and Star Wars four. I'll say two mm. of his honorable mentions. <laughs> you did. <laughs> well, well. So, so what's gonna be what's gonna be the tiebreaker here? The fact that that Zach had his number one, number two, or the fact that Zach can four of the five. Zach can take it. He needs the points. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Zach can take it. Zach, you've been gifted the uh, the points and the. Uh, I'm honored. And the the right to uh, to pick next the time. Moment of a lifetime. I have 23, Zach has 15 and a half, and Terry has 15. Oh, man. I got nothing. I thought I had a pretty good list. I thought Whiplash was going to be on there. I thought he'd go for, like, the, the Star Wars trailer that was a good trailer that was for a movie he hated. And, I can't and he's believe on he this... didn't have Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, that trailer, like, I, that, was, that was why everyone watched the movie. <laughs> I thought Halloween was a good stab too because he's on this whole this whole like horror kick right now because it's October yeah, and stuff and and uh, and that was a pretty good trailer. Yeah, Todd, uh. Todd shouldn't win because of his cockiness going into that list. <laughs> I got four of the five on it like, total. I mean, won't you be my neighbor? Is about as random of a stab as you're gonna get. That that this. is that was a random stab. You're right. That was a good call. That was a good call. But you had inside information. Uh, that's not that's not fair. Well, I guess it's fair, but I mean that, that like when the movie came out, he said that. But I mean, I, I didn't I didn't know that he was actually going to remember that for this list. Uh. All right, all right. Well, Zach gets to pick our list uh, for the next time we do power rankings in a couple weeks. But it is now time for trivia. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. And Zach and I have some movies to report on. So I guess I will go first. Todd won last time, so he assigned us some movies to watch. And I think this is the second time he's assigned someone on this podcast to watch this movie. And that is 2009's Big Fan. And I see why he, uh, he assigned it, because... It is, yeah, it's everything about being a football fan and nothing about what you expect it to be. Uh, and, and that makes for a great movie, especially knowing that Patton Oswalt is the, is the star of it. I mean, you, you think certain things with Patton Oswalt, and it's nothing to do with what actually comes out of this movie. He is a diehard Giants fan that um, I, I love watching him like, like script out his, his uh, calls into the into the radio show even how he's gonna say hi to him like yeah, hey, yeah, dog, yeah. how's he, it going <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah and, and how he always has to shush his mother while he's giving his his uh his impassioned speech uh making fun of philadelphia phil um and michael rapaport obviously is the only one that could be philadelphia phil like highest war minor character performance of michael rapaport is philadelphia phil um I, yeah, I, I, I loved it. It, it. Like I said, it's nothing that you expect it to be, but it's everything that it needs to be. Uh, I gave it three and a half stars. It's, 
it, it it's a really crazy movie and not at all it doesn't go anywhere near what you thought what you think it's going to go like it, and once it ends up there you're like wow that was that was nuts that was crazy so um and actually uh so uh his friend in that movie who who plays his friend in that movie Keith, kevin Keith corrigan. corrigan kevin corrigan yeah. Kevin, yeah kevin corrigan so um I actually watched him in two movies and two straight nights because he's also in Unstoppable. So, <laughs> so I watched Unstoppable. I'm like, hey, there he is again. I've seen this guy before. He's in so. a ton of shit. <laughs> <laughs> he pops up a lot. So, uh, so good pick, good pick. Um, that was yeah, my that, best that was a good one. football movie of all time <laughs> in our power in our Mount Rushmore. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right, that's right. All right, uh, Zach, what did you have to watch? So I had to watch Todd's, I believe, number seven movie of 2006, which was A Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. Um, and it was directed by Dito uh, Montiel, who also directed a movie that uh, Todd recommended to me that I really liked called Boulevard. It's been brought up a couple times on this show, one of the great last performances of Robin Williams. Um, a Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, though, is based on a book that he wrote, an autobiography that he wrote. And uh, the movie um, is written by him and, and uh, directed by him, uh, but he's not the lead actor. The lead actor is Robert, a pre-Tony uh, Stark, Robert Downey Jr., um, plays the adult Dito, and uh, a um, post-Holes, uh, Shia LaBeouf, plays uh, young Dito. And um, what can I say about this movie? Well, uh, this is a movie that um, you've seen before. And when you saw it before, it was called Mean Streets or Bully or Deuces Wild or Sleepers or Bronx Tale or Another Day in Paradise or Alpha Dog or The Basketball Diaries or Long Island Expressway. Um, I feel like I've seen this genre so many times in movies. And I know that Todd's a fan of this movie, so I'm going to try to not shit on it too much. But, like, I'm really tired of the youth gangs in uh, New York City area in, in the 70s or 80s. And the story in this one is pretty unoriginal. It's about a kid who is probably too intelligent to hang around the, the, the his thuggish friends, um, one of whom is played by Channing Tatum, who, um, you know, swears and drinks a lot and is just uh, sort of a horrible human being. And, um, but, you know, uh, young Dito wants to be an aspiring writer and he wants to get out of New York and he wants to go to Los Angeles. And eventually he is able to get out of it. And the plot kind of resembles the first hour of Once Upon a Time in America because it's overly influenced by every single kid, youth, uh, semi-Scorsese wants wannabe um, that's ever been made. Um, I know Todd likes this movie, so again, I'll, I'll try to go light on it. I just didn't like it very much. I feel like I've seen it before. I don't know why Todd recommended it for me. The, the only thing that was noteworthy was seeing a young Shia LaBeouf um, and a young Channing Tatum. Um, I told my wife she should have been home to watch it, not me, so she could have gotten some pleasure out of that. Um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know, Todd. It's, it, it's not a movie that particularly aged well. I, I don't think there's a lot of like homophobia and racism in it and just a lot of uncomfortable scenes and these characters are really really unlikable so i'm sorry but uh that's my review also it, it must be said that the aging in this movie is pr pretty terrible because at the same time these characters are all supposed to be the same age in the flashback parts of the movie and then in the current day parts of the movie the same character who is supposed to be rosario dawson is the same age as a character who's played by eric roberts Okay, so that doesn't really that doesn't really jive all that well, um, but uh, but yeah, so, so sort of a disappointment. So, sorry to say. I mean, I could have predicted that you weren't gonna like it as much as me. Yeah, I mean, I uh, the thing is, I, I love that genre of movies, and this one is one that I, I felt like. I mean, not just because it was uh, autobiographical, but I thought it was like super personal, and I thought the characters were way more 
developed than they are in a lot of those other movies, but eh, you can't win them all. <laughs> all right. Can't save them all, Hasselhoff. Uh, what's that a quote from? I don't even remember. I have no idea. Okay. When's the last Anyways. time you've seen a, a guy recognizing your saints? That that was the question that I had. Because I'd be curious if, if you've watched it recently. Because I I don't know. I feel like I could see how like watching this movie maybe in 2006 would... I think I would have liked the movie more. But I think there's just elements of it that don't age well. In particular, just how like horrible these kids are i mean when you were watching like a larry clark film i mean they're sort of like endearing in a way but in this movie they just particularly the chain and tim character is just like so manic and psychopathic and like just toxic masculinity all over like his first instinct is to just beat up someone like i i feel like that's so just so base you know and i, I wish the movie had a little bit more nuance in its characterizations but uh it's not i also hate the aesthetics of it so again just yeah yeah not, not a fun it's experience it's probably been at least a half dozen years since i watched any part of it i guess so yeah i mean it's been a while but i don't know i've probably seen it four or five times and i've never seen this one so i i can't contribute to the conversation but you can say that eric roberts it does not look the same age as rosario dawson can't you at least admit that i mean that that's probably a safe I mean, that, Eric that, Roberts. I mean, Eric, Eric Roberts, Roberts is the man. Look, so. Eric Roberts is the man. Okay, we know that. Yes. So I didn't. It wasn't his <laughs> casting that I objected to. I just wish that maybe he had played, you know, the the Shia LaBeouf father instead of Chaz Palmentieri, who obviously Dito watched Bronx Tale and was like, we need to get you know Chaz Palmentieri in this. So I don't know. I think Dito Montel is a really talented director, though. I remember when uh, Fighting came out, like that looked like the dumbest, like it was like a street fighting version of Step Up or something like that. But that movie was actually really good and like a low key. <laughs> <laughs> like, like really, really good movie with uh, Channing Tatum and Terrence Howard. I, I think Channing Tatum owes his career basically to Dita Montel because he got nominated for a Spirit Award for God Recognizing Your Saints, and I think it was that that actually took made it so he was taken seriously as an actor and not just being, you know, the guy from She's the Man or whatever. Don't forget Coach Carter. Uh, and Coach Carter. He was the white guy on the team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it is now time for trivia. Todd, you won, so you're hosting. What are we doing? Uh, well, we, I have a couple categories, and they're not related to each other at all. And I, I hope you guys find this fun, because I, I think it would be fun to, to do. Um, I've said that once before, and you guys hated <laughs> me for it. Uh, so I went, since we did our movie trailer uh, list, I have a list of the top 16 most viewed trailers in the first 24 hours of their release combined views on facebook twitter and youtube uh so it's like total no uh no most no viewed like, uh, i i chose and it's on each movie's only represented once because like the number one had three of the top five uh on the list <laughs> uh okay so uh this is between 109 million views and 289 million views is the scope of these 16 the 16 movies so 16 movies top 16 okay and 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 this and like i said there's no there's no like year restrictions on this it's just no yeah social media era right facebook twitter and youtube so i mean yeah you could deduct from that that yeah it's gonna be within the last you know 15 years 20 years uh so uh since zach won the you know power rankings i guess we'll start with him 
Uh, Joker. Joker is not on the list. What? I was just watching it. It had like 200 million views. <laughs> not in the first 24 hours. In the first 24 hours of oh. the release. Well, if Terry doesn't get one of these, then uh, I, I'll, have, I'll let you guys take another step. Uh, the first thing I thought of was The Rise of Skywalker. That is number 15. Holy cow. Uh, Force Awakens. That's number 14. Yeah! Um, okay. Well then, I gotta, I gotta change my tactics here a little bit. Um, Avengers Endgame. That's number one. Okay. Ah, uh, good call. Uh, let's see here. We're gonna go Avengers Infinity War. That is number two. So now you've, you've um, found your direction, Terry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all... Well, I, that's why I was going with Star Wars. I figured that was a safe route, but that barely made the list. Um, let's see here. Which which uh, MCU movie do I want to go with next? Black Panther. That is not on the list. Yeah, I figured that would be a hard one. Was Last Jedi on the list? Last Jedi was on the list, yeah. It was, okay. Uh, you scared me from saying any more Star Wars by saying 14 and 15. So, uh... Number three was The Lion King. Uh, number oh. two, number four, It. Number five, The Fate of the Furious. The Fate and the Furious. Number six, Thor Ragnarok. Number seven, Star uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Number eight, Beauty and the Beast. Oh. Number nine, The Last Jedi. Number ten, Frozen Two. Number eleven, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Number twelve, Fifty Shades Darker. What? And, <laughs> and number thirteen, Incredibles Two. And then one, oh, sixteen was Captain Marvel. So you would have you had, you chose like one of the only ones in the MCU that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't going to be mentioned. I guess it, because it was a surprise hit. So yeah, instead of the ones that yeah. Crap. All right. Okay. So Terry's up four to nothing, and this one you can make up a lot more points. Uh, so we are going with alma mater trivia. Here I looked uh, coming into this week in the NFL. I took the top eight in fantasy points uh, in for quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers. And they, the top eight in each, uh, they, they came from 24 different colleges, which I thought was pretty fascinating. So I want you to say the college, and if you could say the uh, player that comes with the college, then you get another point. So you can make up a lot of points here, because I figured the first category was going to go pretty badly. So top, top eight from each category, running okay. back, yeah, quarterback. Yeah, you, you could choose any, any of the category, or you could choose any of the them when you say your pick if in fantasy points in our league in our in our almost sideways league so ppr non-ppr non-ppr <laughs> I, I took, chose it from the league that we are all actually in do kickers um, count no it, quarterbacks running backs and receivers the top eight in each so we have 24 possible uh uh schools and slash players to re- represent it jeez <laughs> Well, this is going to be brutal. Man, there's so many guys hurt this year. That <laughs> there's 24 possible schools. Uh, I'll start with Zach again so, since, he, since he's behind. So that what you're saying is there are there is not a single repeat. But yeah, that's why that's why I I did this. Wow, that's incredible. All right, I'll, I'll start. Uh, the the aforementioned now injured Dak Prescott from Mississippi State. Correct, but say the school first. That's how you get oh, a point. Oh, sorry. And then, so that way you have a, another chance. So Zach gets two points okay. for that. 
Oh, oh, so you, so you get so it's so you can actually yeah, so you and can then guess. the player. That's a like you can guess a school and then you could try to see if the, the player is attached to it if you get it right. That, that was the way I was thinking about it. Oh, okay, okay. Well, uh, well, can I just say Russell Wilson from a whole pack of badgers? Yeah. Damn it! That's what I was gonna say <laughs> next, correct. Terry. Told, stole my line. Those were now, the now top. does that get credit for Wisconsin or NC State? Those are the top two in fantasy points, by the way. Do I get credit? Is that Wisconsin or NC State? That was or, Wisconsin. How, he, he, okay. It, it, that's his alma mater. His alma mater is not NC State. Yeah, but he call, he calls it the whole pack of badgers. So that's yes, yeah. That's true. Okay. Um, hold on. I want to think before I commit to this. Um. Oh, I'm going to lose this anyway. Might as well. Just Texas Tech? Texas Tech is correct. And do Can I get, get another point for the player? Yeah, oh, the player. You... Mahomes Magic, obviously. Right. So that's another point. Uh, I'm going to go... Uh, uh, top eight. It has to... I'm going to go Louisville uh, for Lamar Jackson. That is not correct. What? He's not in the top eight of quarterbacks right now. No, he's he's in he's on one of my teams and he's not having a good year. <laughs> God. Crap. So Zach needs one more full correct answer to tie Terry. Wait, and why did Zach get to start both of these categories? Because he was down four to nothing. <laughs> but that's oh gosh. It's okay, Terry. I'll probably screw it up. Um, I mean, I think the safe pick would be Oklahoma. That is correct. And For uh, which player? Uh, that's a good question. Mm. Who do I go with? Dang it! I know which one it is. I think I'm gonna go with Baker because he threw no, all those Kyler. touchdowns. No, yeah, it's Kyler. Kyler Murray was the one. That was the yeah. He was number four for quarterbacks. Mahomes is number six. So Terry won six to five. Number uh, you guys missed Wyoming. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Can we can, can we keep going? Okay, I mean if you want to. I, I just kind of want to keep going and see if we can come up with more. So, uh, so I, I had um, I had Michigan down for Tom Brady. Uh yeah, he was the eighth. Okay. How about can Zach, we just keep going? Let, let's get yeah. Can we just do mul- a mulligan? Oh, yeah. Okay. Let, let's just say there's, there's a mulligan. There's more, right? All right. As long as yeah. I still win, we yeah we can just <laughs> yeah of course as long as Terry wins. Okay, how about, go, go for it. How about Tennessee? Tennessee is correct. With Alvin Four. Kamara. Yeah, that's correct. He's the number one running back. Uh, how about Texas A&M for Mike Evans? Uh, that he's the number seven. And then um, LSU for Edwards Hilaire? That's not correct. Well, eight. LSU for Odo Beckham. Oh, okay. OBJ is in... Wow, okay. Well, so number five. Terry still wins. What's the name of the game? I win! Uh, all right. Well, uh, it is time for quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Since I won, I get a start. Uh, my quote comes from, uh, I, I tried to come up with, with something here. I, I came up with a quote from Man on the Moon, which has Jim Carrey, one of my top five all-time male leading performances. And he's talking to someone and says, uh, you don't know the real me. And they say, there isn't a real you. And he says, oh yeah, I forgot. 
as like, that's like perfect for J- Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman. So there you go. All right, uh, Todd, you're next. Uh, so since the game's gonna start in like 20 minutes, I am going to quote the great Hall of Famer Cortez Kennedy in his Hall of Fame speech. He ended it by saying, "God bless America, and God bless the Seattle Seahawks." Thank you. The late great Cortez Kennedy. Well played, well played. All right, Zach, what do you got? My uh, quote of the day comes from the number one performance of all time by a lead actor, and that is uh, Orson Welles' uh, Charles Foster Kane, who says, I always gagged on the silver spoon. One of many great lines he has in that movie. I can't wait for Mank. It's going to be great. The How do we not talk about that trailer? Can we put that? I know. Like, on our on our list unofficially since it's not a 2010s trailer but that <laughs> yeah, trailer looks awesome yeah that movie's gonna be amazing and it, it was so well done so well done yeah all right well uh thank you guys so much for listening make sure you subscribe rate review we're on apple Podcasts. we're on stitcher we're on spotify we're on pandora check us out all over the place we're also at almostsideways.com. you can find us on twitter you can find us on facebook All right, so uh, catch us next week with a deep dive. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.